Well, good morning. Happy Easter. Uh, my name is Andrew. I'm part of the pastoral team here at Dremoyne Presbyterian Church. And I'd love to add my welcome to Dave's, especially if you're new or visiting here, if you're not regular here. Well, we're really glad to have you with us. Um, it's my privilege to give the Bible talk today on that passage that was just read. Quite a, quite a dark scene, isn't it? Uh, but, but we call it Good Friday. It's very good. It's a, it's a happy Easter. Why is that? Well, let's pray and let's, let's ask God for help as we listen to what he's got to say to us. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this weekend and, and in particular all you accomplished on that first Easter, that first Good Friday. Please enlighten us and grow us today in awareness and in appreciation of all you've done for us. Amen. A high school bully approaches his victim in the hallway and he scatters their books across the floor yet again. Corrupt leaders exploit their people and and destroy thousands of livelihoods in order to grow their own power and line their own wallets. Trusted community leaders abuse their positions of influence over young people to to take advantage of them in really awful ways. Entire business models are are built on scams in in, in hope that vulnerable people might fall victim to their lies. You know, every day in our world, unspeakable evils are committed all the time. Where, where humans show contempt for other humans, elevating their own desires and wants above the needs of others. And in all of this, we might ask, where is God? What is God doing about this? What is God doing about the evil, about the injustice that fills our world around us? This very serious problem demands a serious solution. And on that very first Good Friday, the day we're celebrating today, we see both the problem and the solution. In today's account of Jesus' death, we'll see this problem, human contempt, but then we'll also see God's purpose. And we're invited to respond to that. We're invited to respond to the person of Jesus. So let's have a look at each of these in turn. You'll find, the, as, as Joe mentioned, the passage printed on your outline, and, and there's a few points to follow along if that's helpful for you. Well, firstly on Good Friday, we, we see this human contempt, in particular towards Jesus, directed at Jesus. Scene after scene, Jesus is treated appallingly. It's shocking. Listen to some of the ways he's shown contempt on on this day 2,000 years ago, from early in the morning on the day of his death. Leading up to today's passage, before the part where we read, Jesus is trialled by the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, and he was sentenced to death, even though he was found to be completely innocent. It was because of the crowd who kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. A bloodthirsty mob stirred up by Jesus' religious enemies. He was handed over to the soldiers who 
who mocked and, and beat him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, then striking him on the head and spitting in his face. So but by the time we come to our passage today, Jesus has already suffered quite some contempt. The soldiers then brought him to a place called Golgotha, we read in verse 22. This is a real place, real history. This isn't some sort of mythological story, but it's claiming to actually happen 2,000 years ago. And verse 24, they crucified him. We might just pause here for a minute because at church we talk a lot about Jesus dying on a cross. But sometimes that can, that can become a bit abstract and, and we might not think or, or know even about what it would have been like. Josephus, who was a Jewish writer in the first century, said that crucifixion was the most wretched of all ways of dying. It was extremely cruel and degrading. The goal seems to be to maximise pain and, and humiliation. On a cross perhaps like this, but probably much higher, criminals would be executed by hanging there for hours and hours. I'll spare us more of the details for the sake of the kids, but it's excruciating. In fact, that, that English word, excruciating, that comes from this very method of execution. And if you're into Harry Potter, the cruciatus curse, crucio, the way that wizards would torture others, that comes from this word too, crucifixion. It's horrible. It was excruciating, but it was so common in those days. And so the writer Mark, he just, he keeps moving. Have a look at verse 24 on your sheets. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. You know, aside from the physical suffering, it's, it's humiliating. He's hanging up there. He's been stripped of his clothes. And in front of him, soldiers are gambling to see who gets it. They spare no compassion for Jesus, only contempt. He's been unjustly sentenced. The crowd has shouted out for him to die. He was mocked and beaten, nailed to a cross while soldiers gamble for his clothes. This list of contempt is already long enough, is it not? But it keeps going. Several groups then insult him while he, while he hangs up there. And yet, the insults they, they throw at him are actually so ironic because they point to the very purpose Jesus died. All the mockers, they speak far better than they know. Let's have a look at verse 29 and 30. It says, some passerbys say this, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it again in three days... Come down from the cross and save yourself. Jesus had made a claim earlier that he would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. That's what they're talking about. But he was actually talking about himself, his, his, his own body. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's destroying his body by submitting to death, by staying on the cross. He's allowing himself to be destroyed and he will rise again three days later. 
Then the, then the next insult, let's see what it is, verse 31. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. When they say he saved others, they're probably talking about all the miracles of healing he did with lots of people. But the irony, again, is that by refusing to save himself, he saves countless others. And not, not just from physical illness, but for eternity. Salvation through him refusing to be saved. And then this third and last one, verse 32. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. The chief priests and scribes who said this, that held a grudge against Jesus for a long, long time, scheming against him. And now they seem to have got him. They're gloating and, and mocking congratulating themselves on finally getting him. It's a bit like in a lot of books and movies where when a villain finally traps the hero, or so they think. For example, in in the Harry Potter books, again, time and time again, Voldemort thinks he's got Harry backed into a corner, and yet he survives every time. And eventually, through Voldemort's own folly and error, Harry defeats him. The chief priests here are just as foolish. They think they've gotten rid of this troublemaker, this imposter. They finally got him. But the truth is that the very act of dying on the cross, this is his coronation. This is the demonstration that he is indeed king of the Jews. He even has it written on a sign above his head, the king of the Jews, they'd written in a mocking way. And yet it is more true than they know. All these words of contempt coming from the mouths of mockers, they ironically show that Jesus is God's king. And he's come to bear the injustice and evil of the world. Such awful contempt that he suffered that the Son of God endured. But why? Why does he do it? Why does he stay up there on that cross? Why didn't he come down? Well, as we continue, we see that God is clearly right behind this. It is God's purpose that Jesus would bear this weight on his shoulders. And first, we see that in three, three parts of the next section. Firstly, in the darkness. Have a look at verse 33. At noon, as Dave mentioned earlier, noon, when the sun is high in the sky, darkness came over the whole land for three hours until three in the afternoon. This is miraculous, unexplainable. This is clearly something bigger than a routine execution of a criminal. This darkness over the whole land symbolizes something vast is taking place. The sin of the whole world, every person on earth, from eternity past to eternity future, he is taking on their sin. He is taking our sin. And in verse 34, at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is not just the cry of any regular crucifixion pain, but it's, it's a step up. It's an unimaginable cry of agony, great, deep agony. Our um, 10-month-old baby Levi, you might have heard him already, he's very clingy at the moment. And at particular times, uh, he just suddenly bursts into tears when he's taken from his mum. You know, even if it's me taking him off her, they say that babies, you know, they have different cries for different things. Uh, but to me, I can't actually often tell the difference between that cry, the anguished cry of separation from when he, you know, falls over and bumps his head. They, they sound just as serious to me, just as severe. But Levi's just a baby. What on earth could cause Jesus to cry out with such anguish, with despair and agony? Well, Jesus has been cut off from God the Father because of God's righteous anger at human evil. Never before in all eternity has Jesus been separated from God the Father. Now he's experiencing full separation, not from anything he has done, but because of our sin. He's taking our sin. And the next two things show us truly, truly even more deeply what's happening. Verse 37, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Jesus didn't die slowly or, or from exhaustion like many other victims of crucifixion, but he was conscious till his very last breath with a loud cry, not a whimper or a moan or a groan. With a loud cry, he breathed his last. Alert to the weight he was carrying. He's taking our sin. Verse 38, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. No gust of wind could do such a thing. But just like the darkness, we know who is really behind this. But what does it mean? A curtain tearing in two? Well, the temple was the place where Jews could come into the presence of God. And a sacrifice always had to be made to go past that curtain. But here Jesus' sacrifice tears the curtain in two for good. Once and for all, he has taken our sin. No longer is there a barrier between God and humanity. Jesus has torn it open. Interestingly, this word, torn in two, is used just one other time in the book of Mark. The word schizo, it's, it's related to the English word schizophrenia, splitting of the mind. The other time it's used is during Jesus' baptism. He comes out of the water and the heavens tear into, they split, and Jesus hears God's voice. Heaven, heaven and earth are joined for a brief moment. What's the significance of this? It tells us that Jesus... He is the one who can open the way between heaven and earth. He's the one who can give sin-stained humans like us access to a holy God. Jesus is the one who can fix our problem of evil that we see all around us. And he did it by taking our sin. He was forsaken that we might be forgiven. 
I've started teaching scripture in school at the local primary school, Drummond Public School, uh, the last term every couple of weeks. And one of the students last time asked this great question. Why did Jesus die? You know, we might ask, you know, we've seen what has happened, but why? Or who killed him, perhaps? Well, there's certainly more than one answer to those questions. Was it the Roman soldiers? Yes. Was it the Jewish chief priest who stirred up the crowd to call for his death? Well, yes. But the Bible says that we are all at fault. He died for our sins. Evil and injustice, it's not, it's not something out there. It's in here. It's inside every single human heart. Because in every human heart, there's always glimmers of contempt for Jesus as king. And on Good Friday, we remember that he took all that on his shoulders. My anger, my, my self-absorption, my pride, my arrogance, Jesus took it all on his shoulders. Jesus forgives my contempt for his kingship if I but bow the knee and make him my king. There's a great hymn that says a lot of this in much nicer words. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. This is, this is the essence of Good Friday. It, it's what makes it good, which is otherwise a horrible day. We don't call it Horrible Friday. We call it Good Friday. Because my sin is on his shoulders. By his wounds, we can be healed. He was forsaken that we might be forgiven. So what do you make of this crucified one, this Jesus have a look at verse 39 to see another response. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. The centurion saw, the centurion recognized in, the, in that moment who, what he had witnessed. Stand in his sandals for just a moment and look at the Son of God, giving his final cry, the loud cry. It's not a cry of defeat. It's actually a cry of triumph. Triumph over your sin. Do you see him as the centurion does? You're looking at the one bearing the weight of your sin on his shoulders. You're looking at the one who throws open the gates of heaven and says, come in. You're looking at the one who endured hell for your heaven. Do you recognize him for who he is? Lee Strobel, he was an investigative journalist in America in the last 50 years. And he was an atheist when his wife became a Christian. And he noticed in her everyday life this positive change in her. She had a new king, a good king. He noticed it particularly in the way she cared for others. 
modelled off her king who cared for others. So he decided to use his professional skills and and investigate the claims that the Bible has to make about Jesus. And here's something he said at the end. Based on scientific evidence, I became convinced that there's a creator of the universe, and based on historical data, I became confident in Jesus' claim to be the Son of God. He backed up that claim by returning from the dead. Christianity is not blind faith. Rather, it's seeing Jesus as the centurion did and recognizing him for who he is. The chief priests mocked Jesus by saying, let this Messiah come down from the cross that we may see and believe. But Jesus stayed up on the cross that we may see and believe. Believe that he really is the solution to our problem of evil in this world. Let's pray. Our great God in heaven, we thank you for your deep mercy and grace. You could have left us to our own evil, our own injustice, our own problem. But in your mercy, you intervened and sent your son, Jesus, to shoulder the weight of our sin, to be forsaken, that we might be forgiven. So we thank you and pray that you'd help us to trust in him and appreciate what he has done for us. For Christ's name we pray. Amen.